Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. As you read the Bible, it will become evident to you that God wants you to be a part of His family. That's wonderful. And as you know, being part of a family includes various responsibilities. Those responsibilities go beyond the family you live with to God's eternal family. This is all part of the beautiful way God cares for you through His people. It's also how you get involved in helping people as part of His family. You may think you're too busy for this, but as you jump in, God will help you sort out your priorities in time. Here's Pastor Jim in part two of his message, an invitation to the eternal family gathering. I'm hoping right now that you're already thinking about New Year's resolutions of of more Bible reading, of, of joining a community group, of, of better church attendance, whether it's in person or online, about serving God, about all the different things that God would have for you to do to keep your part of being serious about this. God's made the initiative. God's done what we need to do. We need to do our part. It's like anything else. You, you, somebody could hand you a, a registration for, let's say, the New York City Marathon. And they say, here, it's, I'm taking the initiative. I'm handing it to you. That, that would be, God would do that to you. But you still need to train, don't you? And so we need to train ourselves unto godliness, the scripture says. And I hope that you will do that. The third kind of seed is the seed that fell among thorns. Jesus said, these are the people that the cares of this world, oh, they're always so busy. They always got so much going on. Or the deceitfulness of riches. They just need a little bit more. Instead of, instead of realizing that you, if you just cut back, you'll have a lot more money than if you just keep making more. They, 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 they just, you know, the thorns come up. The, the, the seed looks good. The ground looked good. But when the seed came up and grew, the thorns came up too and just choked it out. Choked out their spiritual life. Now, let's put our health issues to the side. But let's just talk about many able-bodied people as now we're getting some sense of a vision of, of, it's going to be a while still, but some sense of a vision where it is not as hopeless as it was, let's say, with, with this pandemic as it was, let's say, in the spring. But what's going to happen to a lot of people when things start to bounce back? A lot of people are going to be too busy, aren't they? They're going to say, well, I didn't do this and I didn't do that during that time. So now I got to do this and now I got to do that. Or I got to have some fun or I got to go here or I got to go there. So a lot of people are going to do that. They'll be too busy to return to the worship of God. You see, the reason is there's always something. And these responses, these three responses tell us where we are with God. Mark 4.20 says this, Jesus says, but these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word of God. They hear God. They actually hear God, take the initiative. They hear the invitation. And what do they do? He says, they accept it. So, so God takes the initiative. He sows, Jesus is the sower. He puts out the word of God to people. That's what we do here. He's putting it out to all of us, me too. It's not like I'm not listening to him speaking. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. 
and he throws out the invitation. They accept it. They respond to it. And there is a result of their responding to it. He gives it to us. They bear fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Now let's go back 2,000 years earlier to Abraham. This is my covenant which you shall keep. He's now beginning to speak in the plural, God. He says, between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. Now, if you are a young person here today and you don't know what that means, you ask your parents on the ride home. (laughs) I am always so happy to bring families together. (laughs) with intense and uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> and uh, one of the things we do here in the, in the church, if you don't have kids, you don't know this, when a kid gets promoted from one age group to another, we give the parents books about sensitive subjects to talk about with their kids. And they're like, you want me to have this conversation with a seven-year-old? I go, if you haven't yet, yes. Yeah. So if you don't know what that is, you ask your parents on the way home. Let, let's, let's get it to the rest of us, though. Remember, Abraham is 99. He's 99 now. And you got to think, God says to him, hey, here's the covenant, man, circumcision. Now, I don't know about you. I would be like, excuse me, Lord, just a little question before we jump into this circumcision whole thing here. Couldn't it be more like Noah where he got a rainbow? I mean... <laughs> I mean, that sounded so much more pleasurable than this. That would be nice. Verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. To be circumcised is to cut away the flesh, symbolic of sin often in the Bible, and it shall be a sign or a mark of the covenant between me and you. So obviously, this is not what we would call Sunday religion. This is not some cheesy sacrifice that you think that people make when they they go to church for an hour or two every week and then you go your own way. This is personal and painful faith. That's what this is. Now, true, you could say, listen, circumcision could be completely superficial by itself. But if you combine it with what we saw in verse 1, walk before me and be blameless, This is what it means, and this is what it looks like to be a committed follower of Yahweh. This is what it means to be, to put it in New Testament terms, to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. This is God, and this is very personal, I understand, but this is God desiring to enter every area of your life, not just the areas you want to let him in on. But more than anything else, If we do some sort of a sacrament or thing like that or ritual, there's always supposed to be an element of faith to it. It's not like you do it apart from faith. God's not like, well, just do this and and that, that will be cool. No, there's an element of faith to it. They sacrifice animals in the Old Testament. So they would put their hand on the animal and that would be symbolic of their sin being transferred to the animal. The animal would die in their place, symbolic of Jesus dying in your place in my place on the cross. But there's an element of faith to it. It's not like just, oh, just, you know, just hit the animal and kill the thing and that's good. God will be happy with that. No, there's an element of faith to it. But also, what is this for a man in this time? This is the brand of God. 
This is God, like, you know, do you know how the way they do it with cattle and stuff like that? And if you ever seen that happen, and they take it, they put it in a hot thing and they brand that, that animal. So, it, so you know which, which cattle rancher that brand belongs to. This is the brand of God saying that, that you having faith in him eternally belong to him. And that's what a new heart is to you and me. We don't do this stuff anymore. We'll talk about that in a minute because things are be like, thank God. All right. But, but that's what a new heart is. That is the brand of God upon you. For them, circumcision was a visual reminder. Now, let's just stop here. Ladies, don't worry. I'm going to spare you. If this was a men's retreat or this was a men's conference, which I've spoken a lot of those things, I would get up on the soapbox and we would be camped here for a while, okay? So men, you use your imagination. Ladies, you just enjoy the fact that, that they're going to suffer, okay? So it was a visual reminder, a permanent sign, again, like a new heart, that God's covenant is eternal and there is no going back. Now, if you are a new follower of Jesus or you're one who just finds that you just, these old sins just keep rearing their ugly head over and over again, I can tell you that one of the most helpful things I have found in my life is to constantly remind myself, I am not going back. That's why I love, I love reading through the book of Exodus and hearing the people complaining and having God say to me, Jim, do you complain about a lot of stuff? And me with tears in my eyes going through half a box of tissue going, I am sorry, Lord, because I am not going back to Egypt. I'm not. I would rather die than go back to what I used to be. Seriously. I do not want to go back to that. You know why? Because I would be walking dead. I would be walking dead. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or notice this, bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. What does it mean? Those are Gentiles. Those are not Abraham's people. Those are outsiders. Verse 13, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. I mean, this is a big undertaking. I mean, just this is a, I mean, (laughs) they're doing it with these flint knives, basically a sharp rock. Now we saw back in chapter 14, Abraham had 318 fighting men when he went to go free Lot, the rescue Lot. Now he's got to be well over 400 guys, maybe 500. And plus he's got all the boys now. He says, every male who's born in your house, eight days old and older. But you know what I love about this? I love that everyone is invited into the covenant. This, This to me is one of the greatest things about the kingdom of God, that everyone is invited There is no elitist mentality. All are invited. All are welcomed in. Now, were there people who participated who didn't believe? People are so worried about that stuff all the time. Oh, we're going to be so careful. 
Somebody might take communion who doesn't believe. Somebody might get baptized who doesn't really believe. You know, somebody might come to church or do this or that who doesn't really believe. Are there some who participated who didn't believe, who didn't really trust the Lord? Probably. Probably. Humans get all hyped up about that. God doesn't seem to be. You see, here's the interesting thing. God knows who believes and who doesn't, but you know what he does? He still makes sure that everybody knows they're invited. It's like, it's like because he sees not what you are, friend, my unbelieving friend, and you are my unbelieving friend. He sees not what you are. He sees what you are becoming. And he, and he wants to invite you in. So they're still invited. Why would they be invited if they're really not God's people? Here's the thing that we have to get in our heads, really. We'll talk about it in a second for, for, for next year. God casts the net more widely than we do. It's just that simple. We're looking for the wrong people. We're wasting our time with the wrong people. And God casts the net more widely than we do. He is much more inclusive than we are. He is much more hospitable than we are. Now, this is what some people would say. Well, this would not be fair to the boys. Parents say this today. This is not fair to my kids. I don't want to push my faith on them. You know something? Nobody outside of Bible-believing Christians says that gobbledygook. Nobody. You have a friend who's a Muslim? Ask them. You have a friend who's a Jew? Ask them. You have a friend who's a Catholic? Ask them. Nobody believes that gobbledygook. I don't want to push my faith on them. We are all called to raise our kids in the faith. You know, the funniest thing, I'll say this about my family. You know, I, two of my aunts were nuns. One of my uncles was a priest. One of my uncles, he took off with a woman in a congregation. That's not cool, right? I think it was a bigger scandal in my family when I married a Swedish Protestant in a Baptist church. I mean, really, nobody talks like that. In fact, we should all, how many of us? All of us. I don't care how old you are. Now, it may not be your thing, then, you know, dump money into it. Pray for it. But we should all work very hard to develop the best kids and youth ministry around. We should all work very hard at that. And we should get our kids and youth to participate because that's how it gets to be good. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, isn't that the parent's job? It is, but in this generation, our extended family lives all over the place. And a lot of them are not followers of Jesus. And the pace of American life makes it not easy for a lot of, for a lot of families and the, and the current cultural conditions are so bizarre they need help and it's the family's job we're the family it's our job to help them well why verse 14 explains it and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off from his people for he has broke or he has broken my covenant so here we have, we see they had a choice and it's a play on words here. And it goes something like this, either be cut into the family of God or be cut out of the family of God. That's the choice that everybody has to make. 
In other words, either receive the promise or reject the promise. There's no in-between. And although they may choose poorly, and a lot of them do, we want our kids to understand the choice they are given. We want them to have a clear choice. For years, there was a woman who who came here and she described herself as a a secularist and an atheist and she came here and, um, and I said, why would you come? And she goes, I like to hear a man who knows what he's talking about so I'm well aware of what I am rejecting. Now, in a sense, it's funny. In a sense, it's sad. But I said, you know, I admire you. Inside, she walked away. I remember thinking, you are not far from the kingdom. <laughs> and, we always, and we always want our kids to know that you may make the wrong choice. But you can always return. You can always come back. To be honest with you, most religious people that you're either cut in or cut out, that you either receive the promise or reject the promise, that, 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 that you have to make a choice, most religious people, they don't even understand this. They don't even understand that you have to really make a, have a response to the good news of the gospel. They have their self-righteous religion or their religion of convenience. You talk to people, they object, well, I'm a good person. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, I don't do that. I go, okay, that's fine. What about, well, that's called sin of commission. What about a sin of omission? They're like, what's that? You omit. What about all the stuff that you are supposed to do, that we are all supposed to do, and we don't do? The people are like, well, I, what, 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 I, I, I don't know. What didn't I do? You know, for most people, what didn't you do? Step one, Jesus already told us. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what most people have not done. Pastor Jim, are you saying that if you don't repent and believe the gospel, if you don't turn to God and put your trust in Jesus, that you won't be going to hell, that I won't be going to heaven, that I'll be going to hell? Is that what you're really saying? I'm not the one saying it. I'm not the one saying it. Verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Both derivatives of the word princess. So I guess she was a princess. And so now she gets a new name too. Remember, Abraham did last week. And I will bless her and also give her a son, give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, when it says it said in his heart, that's we're talking to ourselves. But remember, who's, who's in there with us? How scary is that? <laughs> that God is in there? Like, anybody who thinks they're good enough or they're a holy person, like that, I'm like, so let's just go inside your head for a minute and God knows what's in there. You're like, oh. That's grace, isn't it? So he's talking to himself and he said, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So now God changes Abraham's wife's name. They both have new names for a new stage of their life, perhaps to remind them as they're talking to each other of God's promises. 
when they would have this baby, they would, they would be reminded of God's promises. Now, like Abraham, Sarah had learned the hard way to wait on the promises of God. Remember the, the, the debacle in chapter 16 with her maidservant, Hagar. So this tells us what? Who is the one who's unable to have a child? It's Sarah. Because Abraham was able to father a child. But notice here, God comes along and he tells Abraham, you go home and tell your wife this. Enough of this, you go home all the time. Oh, God made a promise to me. God made a promise to me. God made a promise to me. You go home and you tell her the promise I'm making to her. It's not tell her, well, you know, you're Abraham's wife, so just ride the Abraham wave. No, it's, it's Sarah, I have a plan and a purpose for you. So let me ask you the soul-searching question. Do you believe that God has a plan and a promise and a purpose for you? Now, some of you are, of course, of course, of course. Then what are you waiting for? <laughs> but some of you are saying no. And we're going to have to deconstruct that a little bit. Abraham can hardly believe it. He, he laughs. It, it seems like maybe it's possible for the last 13 years, maybe he thought the, his son Ishmael that he had with the maidservant Hagar was the son of the promise. Maybe he's trying to explain to God, hey, God, I, 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 you know, I have a good plan for getting your purposes and your promises you know, accomplished. Choose, choose Ishmael. He's good. We got the boy. He, he's the one. Now, if he's trying to convince God of a better way for God's promises, that would be a mistake. But it's very interesting. I notice a lot of times in the Bible that God is very gracious to people who have suggestions for him. I mean, he really is. Um, however, if you forge ahead with the suggestions or you don't even bother suggesting them, you just go on your logic and you do it, he doesn't stop the consequences. If you rush out ahead without the approval of the word of God. But let's deconstruct the fact if you think there's no plan or purpose or promise for your life. Super important lesson here. Super important. Abraham, seems to me, Abraham, like us, thinks that his circumstances, being old, having a wife who is unable to have children limits the plans and purposes and promises of God. Let me say that again, but let me bring it home to you and to me. How often it is, how easy it is for all of us to think that our circumstances are hindrances to the plans and purposes, and promises of God. Abraham seems to think, and we can do this very easily, that God is ignoring his circumstances. In other words, that, that our circumstances make his promises impossible. But God shows his true power when he delivers on his plans, purposes, and promises, 
in the midst of our difficult circumstances. So now it's been over five years for me since I got this, um, this wacky neurological disorder that I have. And I thought, honestly, that I was done. And, and if you're glad I stayed, then I can give you the names of the brothers that really talked me into staying. The two pastors who, who don't pastor here. And, and I thought I was done. And I know that some people got mad at me for being sick. Still not right, but doing better than I was before, for sure. Some of you are wondering why he holds on to the pulpit so much. It's because if I don't hold on to the pulpit, I'll be going, and you're like, he's in the spirit. No, he let go of the pulpit. (laughs) And I know that some people were mad at me for being sick. That I wasn't available at their beck and call all the time. I know a lot of pastors who've gotten sick and their staff was particularly the people that got most mad at them. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.